Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. It's good to, to be with you this morning. Uh, and as I think was introduced earlier in the meeting, we're, we're in a series on mission at the moment, talking about how we can share our faith with our friends and with those around us. And it's made me think a lot as we're doing this series about when I first became a Christian and, and what were the events surrounding it in me coming to faith, thinking about then how we can help those that we know and care about come to faith as well. Now, I became a Christian when I was 19 years old uh, through the, the work of the Christian Union at my university. Um, I went to a weekend away with them. And at the end of the weekend away, I decided to give my life to Jesus. And then later that week, they had a, a meeting uh, and there were 30, 40, something like that people in the room. And they gave the opportunity for people to share what had happened in their life on the weekend away. I was pretty nervous, but I thought I, I'm going to speak up and I'm going to say, um, that I'd become a Christian. I, I, I didn't know uh, who was meant to share, whether I was supposed to or not, but um, it seemed like quite an inviting space to do it. So, so I did. I stood up and said I, I became a Christian on this weekend away. And there, there were big cheers and everyone was celebrating with me. Um, and, and after that event, somebody uh, came along to me and said, Tom, it's really encouraging to hear you share that uh, because we've actually been praying for you for over a year now. We've been praying that this would happen. And I had absolutely no idea that this was the case. So uh, I had one flatmate who was a Christian and he'd obviously um, in the CU and uh, when they'd been praying for people, mentioned me as somebody who uh, had some kind of interest, who uh, had asked questions or who he wanted opportunities to help me get to know Jesus. And so these people have been praying for me for over a year. And as I think about my story and as I tell the story that's not a part of it that I often tell I talk about uh, the things that I heard the questions that I asked things that I saw and, and how my mindset changed and yet as I reflect I think it's an absolutely fundamental piece of the story that these people were praying for me consistently persistently for a long time that makes such a huge difference I wonder as you think about your story of how you became a Christian whether you could identify along the way people who were praying for you that you would know Jesus. I suspect many of us can identify such people. There's always two stories in parallel, aren't there? There's the story about what's happening in the person's life. But behind it, in the background, there's the story of people bringing them before God in prayer. There's a story that R.A. Tori tells uh, about uh, a little town in Maine. This was uh, a long time ago, over 100 years ago, and things were pretty dead up there. Not a lot was going on spiritually. The churches existed, but they weren't really uh, making much headway in reaching the town. There, there were some people there who, who loved God, and they decided, um, look, we're uneducated laymen. We, we don't have particular skills or anything like that, but something's got to be done in our town so here's what we'll do we'll, we'll start a little prayer group and, and we'll pick one person in the town and we'll pray for that person and say okay who, who should we pick 
and they picked one of the uh, seemingly furthest from God people in the town, a guy who was a hopeless drunkard. And they all started centering their prayers on this guy. Uh, within a week, he'd come to know Jesus. I thought, that, this is great, this worked, let's, let's pick another guy. And, and so they did, and they picked another person who seemed a long way from Jesus, and he was converted, and then another, and another. W within a year, two or three hundred people in this town had come to know God, and it started to spread into the surrounding country as well. And Tori sums it up like this, definite prayer for those in the prison house of sin is the need of the hour. As a church, we're desperate to see more and more people come to know Jesus. We believe that the good news of the gospel is that though people have sinned and are far from God, they, in Jesus, there's a way for people to be forgiven and come back into relationship with God. Because he died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. He rose again in glory. And so anybody, as they turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus, can be saved, can be forgiven. And we, we're desperate to see this. There is no other way to be saved but through Jesus. And so that's why we're doing this series. We want to be talking to our friends about this. But we also know it's hard. It's hard sometimes we long for this conversation to come up, but we don't quite know how to get the conversation started. So we're looking at what, what are some of the things that we can do that will increase the number of opportunities that we get to share the gospel. And we started last week by talking about meals together and time spent over the dinner table with people tends to facilitate those opportunities. And today we're on a second point. They spell out the word mission. There are seven points that we're looking at. And today we're on the I, which is intercede. That's pray for five other people. So I just want to uh, go through three simple questions today about praying for other people. We're going to look at why we pray for other people, who we can pray for, and how we pray for other people. So firstly, why? Why would we pray for other people? What's the point in it? What does it accomplish? And the first answer to this is that prayer has an effect on the person that we're praying for. I wonder if you've ever tried to share the gospel with someone and it just feels like you're talking to a brick wall. Has that ever happened to you? It certainly happened to me. I can think of people and, and I've tried to open up spiritual conversations and it's like the shutters have come down and the person doesn't want to know. Well, that shouldn't be too surprising. I think about some of the words that the Bible uses to describe people who don't know God. And one of them is lost. The Bible describes people as lost. It's an inability to know where they need to go. I remember when I was a kid, I did the um, Duke of Edinburgh Award, and me and a group of mates got, uh, got massively lost in, uh, in the Peak District. We were walking up at Mamtor, and we, we thought we were somewhere on the map. We were somewhere else entirely. And it wasn't long before we realised we were completely lost. Now, it wouldn't have done us any good if someone had said to us, you know your problem, you need to just go back to the base camp because we, we had no idea where we were or how to get there. Another word that the Bible uses to describe people who don't know God is blind. It's like they can't see spiritual reality, even when it's right in front of their face. And saying to them, see it, see it, can't you just see it? Won't help. I don't know if you've ever done one of those like magic eye uh, puzzles where you look at it and there's a picture there and you stare at it and either you see it or you don't. And some people just don't see it and another word the bible uses as a metaphor to describe people who don't know god is dead in sin 
don't know if you've ever been in a graveyard and said to someone, hey, get up, stop being dead, you. It doesn't do any good. These are metaphors that describe uh, both an unwillingness, but also an inability for somebody to choose to receive God on their own back. So when, when we're evangelizing, when we're telling our friends about Jesus, this is what we're coming up against. People who are both unwilling and unable to respond. And so what we need to happen isn't just a, a persuasive argument on our part. It's a miracle. We need God to work in their lives. Jesus said in John chapter three, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we need a work of God in the person's soul such that they will be born again. So if we can't do it without God, if that's what we're trying to see, if that's what we're looking for in someone's lives, then we have to pray. Prayer has an effect on the person. Secondly, prayer has an effect on God. When we pray, God does things that he would not otherwise have done. Andrew Murray puts it this way. Prayer is the power by which that comes to pass, which otherwise would not take place. Now, this is both an obvious thing to say when you read the Bible and you see what prayer is. It's asking God to do stuff and seeing him do it. But it's also a bit head scratching, isn't it? That God, who's sovereign and omnipotent, will do things on the basis of requests from us. It can be a, a wondrous theological thing to get into. But that isn't where we should start. We shouldn't start with the, the questions and the head scratching. We should start with wonder and awe that God will hear our prayers and he promises to answer them. And we should start then getting on our knees and praying and taking him at his word that he will answer prayer. Here are some New Testament verses about this. Matthew 7 verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Or James 5, 15 and 16, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Or 1 Peter 3 verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears open to their prayer. Or James 4 verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You don't have to read the Bible for long to see example after example after example of people asking of God and God answering their prayers. There are even four occasions in the Old Testament where we're told that God relents, or some translations have it as changes his mind or repents as a response to a human request. And the context is postponing a judgment that was coming. So if what's needed in a person's life is a miracle, a work of God, and if prayer is the thing that moves God's hands, you can see why prayer is so crucial in this. Prayer has an effect on the person. Prayer has an effect on God. And thirdly, prayer has an effect on us. You know, I've been a Christian for 18 years now. And for some time during uh, those 18 years, I've leaned more into praying for those who don't know Jesus than at other times. It's fluctuated. It's been up and down. But I've noticed this. The times that I've been praying more for those who don't know Jesus, I've also had more opportunities to share my faith. Well, that's no coincidence. Part of it is God answering the prayer by giving me the chance to be the answer to the thing that I've asked. 
but also in the process of praying for someone, it, it's created an empath empathetic moment. It's uh, brought to my mind and my heart the needs of people, and it's made me more alert to the opportunities that is before me. So this, this habit of regularly praying for others, it has an effect. It makes a difference on them, and it also engages us more in the mission. So that's a little bit about why we pray. Well, a second question then, if, we, if, if this is a call to prayer this morning for people who don't know Jesus, you might well ask, okay, who should I be praying for then? Who, who should I be praying for? And one obvious answer to this is everybody. Pray for everybody. We want to pray for as many people as we can. And this is obviously a good thing. And this is something we, we would very much encourage. And though today we're going to be talking about something specific, I would definitely encourage us to be praying for other people whenever we can. Another good answer to the question, who should we pray for, is pray for people as they come to mind. Maybe it's a spiritual figure. You sense the Holy Spirit is prompting you to pray for someone. Great, pray for them. Or maybe it's just as a thought about somebody flashes through your mind. Let it be an aid to memory. Again, that's a really good thing to do. But what we're suggesting in this series, what we're suggesting today as a point of application for us as a whole church across all of the sites is how great it would be if all of us could take a few people who are in our lives who we will commit to praying for those people on a regular basis. Now, now the first step in this is figuring out who are the people in your life? Who do you have? relationship with and we've got a, a a tool for this called the circles and uh hannah who's part of our lady bard site i i was on a little video call with her a few days ago and she did a really good a uh, description of how to use this tool so uh, i'm just going to turn my video off for a moment and andy's going to show this video of hannah talking through this circles tool and then i'll pop back on and talk about what we can do with it Hey guys, my name is Hannah Knight. I am one of the members of CCM. Uh, I go to the Lady Barn site and um, it's a real joy to just work through this little tool um, to help you think about who is in your life and whose lives have you been put into. And we know that God is working in our friends' lives because we are in them. I don't know if you find that encouraging. I certainly do. Um, so what I'm going to take you through is a tool called the circle. So we'll get stuck into it. So if you were going to do this, you would draw a circle. You would get a piece of paper and a pen and you would draw a circle. And the circle represents your life. Um, it represents all the different places that you uh, go in the week, the people you engage with, all the different uh, parts of your life. And there's lots of different circles that we do uh, inhabit, isn't there? There's there's uh, our work, there's our home, there's our family. During lockdown, there's been less circles, but normally in life, there's lots of different circles uh, we inhabit. Here's some examples here. Maybe uh, the circles you would inhabit are family. Maybe it would be your work friends, your work colleagues, your, uh, maybe you've got Manchester friends, but maybe you've also got friends from school. Um, maybe you've got friends from college or university. Uh, maybe you're part of a sports team or a pub quiz team. There's lots of different spheres and circles that we inhabit throughout our life. So 
you will have drawn this big circle that is all of your life. And then within that, there's lots of different sections. And this is where I like to have a bit of fun. And I call it the pizza, because we split up that which we've drawn on our piece of paper into lots of different sections. And all of those sections represent the different circles that we inhabit, the different people that we know, um, the different, yeah, uh, pizza pieces of our life. Um, so you would have your circle. And then what you would do is you would draw um, your pizza pieces, some bigger, some smaller, uh, depending on, I guess, how many people are in it, etc. Then from having your big circle and your pizza pieces, you then um, break that big circle down into three smaller circles. And this represents the different depths of friendships we have. Now, all of us in a really healthy way have different depths of friendships. There's those couple of people who know our deepest, darkest secrets. They're our family members or our closest of friends. They would be in that smallest circle. Then we've got our inner circle. They would be people that we would definitely call friends. We would hang out with, we would enjoy time with, and we would love, uh, yeah, spending time with, but they might just not know our deepest, darkest secrets. And then there's an outer circle. Now, I would definitely call them my friends, my husband, on the other hand, might call them acquaintances. It just depends what you're like. Because of I would call them friends, I might then put a couple of names on the outside. But it's not that they're outside of the circle of my life. It's just that they aren't, in my books, my closest, my inner or my outer circle. So what you would have is a big circle that's your whole life with your pizza pieces. And then your three circles going out from there and the idea then is to just have a go have a go at writing down all of these different areas of your life and then within that have a think through who are the people in my life who are the people on my inner circle who are the people on my outer circle and who are my closest friends in that and hopefully what that does is it gives you a really helpful view and picture and perspective of who is in your life and whose uh, life you are in. And that is the circles. I hope you found that helpful. Oh, that's a great little tool that Hannah's just been talking about. And the power in it, often when I hear about things like that, I, I'll watch along and I'll think, oh yeah, that sounds like it could be really helpful. Uh, but the power is in actually doing the exercise, not just watching it and nodding along to it. And that's something that uh, we're going to challenge you to do this week, to uh, map this out for yourself, for, for the relationships, the friendships in your own life. Uh, it's an activity that, um, that could be done in community group. If you're part of a community group this week, it's something you could work through together there or, or if you're not able to get along to community group this week uh, I, I would encourage you uh, to to have a go at it anyway at some point in your own time and then the next step having mapped out who are the people in your life is is to choose five of those people and you know let God lead you if um, the spirit's drawing you to certain people then uh, by all means go for those but 
we're, we're looking to choose five of those people who are in our circles of relationships who don't know Jesus, who you're willing to pray for on a regular basis. As you have your quiet time day by day by day, will you pray for those people that you've chosen that they come to know Jesus? We've had these little cards that Ian has put together. You can see on the screen, the front is just the, the points of mission as a reminder uh, of, of what we've been talking about in this series. And on the back, there's space for, for five names there. So to jot your five names down on one of these cards, you'll be able to get them uh, when in-person meetings start again. So you might need to jot them somewhere else for the moment. But uh, to pray for those five people every day, that's what we're asking at this point. This isn't something we invented. People have been doing this for a long time. George Muller was a famous 19th century uh, Christian leader. He, he run orphanages and he was famous really for seeing answers to prayer for the practical needs of the orphans that um, he was serving. And uh, there'd be stories about them having run out of food for breakfast, but still setting the table and praying. And then uh, the baker had happened to wake up at four in the morning and turned it up with bread. There's a lot of stories like that around George Muller. But he also chose to do this. He also chose to pray for five of his friends who didn't know Jesus. And he was talking about it. And uh, this is how he described it. In one instance, my faith had been tried more than this. In November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without one single intermission, whether sick or in health on land or on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. He took it seriously. He was praying even when he was poorly. He was praying even when he was traveling, when he had a lot going on. He still made a point of praying for his five people. And given what we talked about at the start, the, the size of what needs to happen, which is a miracle, and the power of prayer to accomplish that, I wonder, could you do the same? Could you commit to do it? what George Muller did and praying for that person day by day by day. So we've talked about why pray and who to pray for. I want to finish up by talking about how we pray for those people. And we start by saying this, we're praying for salvation. We're praying for salvation. In Romans 10 verse 1, uh, Paul writes this, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Now he's talking about his own people, the Jewish people, and he's reflecting on the fact that at that point in time, not many of them had responded to the gospel and become Christians. And Paul said, look, there's two things going on. My heart's desire is that they become Christians. And so that's my prayer as well, that they may be saved. When we think about the names that we put in the sections of our own pizza, let's ask this question. Is it the strong desire of our heart that those people be saved? You know, sometimes I think when we've known people for a while, we, we get numb to the fact that they don't know Jesus. They need to be saved. The more front of mind it is and the more we're praying for it, the more our strong desire will be to see them know God. And then the prayer is that they may be saved. You know, there's a lot of good things you can pray for people. You can pray for uh, their health. You can pray for their work situation. You can pray for their relationships. Uh, and that's a good thing to do. But the big one to keep coming back to time and time again as we pray for them is to pray that they may be saved. 
you know, I don't know how you organize your prayer times. Maybe you have a prayer diary. Maybe you use an app or a prayer list or, or, or something like that. Make sure these five names go on whatever's going to give you that aid to memory. Maybe keeping this card in your Bible or somewhere that you will see it regularly is the way to do it. But find a way to be praying for their salvation day by day. Secondly, then, we pray with faith. We pray with faith. It says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith, if you have faith. So what is a prayer of faith? Let me give you a little illustration so you can see the difference. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're looking for work. You're trying to find a job. Now, that can be a very disheartening season of life for a lot of people. Your experience can be that every day you're filling out application after application after application, sending them off. Most of the time you don't hear back. And after a few weeks of it, it can be quite soul destroying. And you'll still see jobs and you'll still apply, but you'll be doing so going through the motions. You'll be doing so with very little expectation that anything will happen. Now imagine that uh, a friend of yours who's at a, a certain company gives you a call and says, look, we've got a job going and, you know, we need to advertise it and all that, but we really want you to apply. You should definitely apply for the job. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You're going to get the job. It, when that happens, the way you view that application is very different. It's not, well, I'll just fire it off and you never know. It's no, no, this has been invited. This has been called upon. They want to respond to this application. Do we believe that God is like that with prayer? He's promised us that as we ask, we will receive. Let's pray with that kind of faith. We can have confidence in God answering these prayers. Why? Well, firstly, because God really wants them to be saved. He wants it more than we do. We shouldn't be thinking, oh, well, there's these people that I'd like them to be saved. I'm not sure God wants that. Tells us in 1 Timothy 2, God desires all people will be saved. He wants it more than we do. And he's able to save them to the uttermost. It says that in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. This isn't a, a picture of us twisting God's arm. This is a God who wants to bless, who wants to save. That's what he's like. And so we can pray with faith. Do you see the difference there? And then thirdly, to pray with perseverance. So we're praying for salvation, praying with faith but pray persistently. Jesus told a story of a widow who kept banging on the door of a judge's house again and again and again until she got what she was asking for. It says at the start of that parable, he told them a parable to the effect that they are always to pray and not to lose heart. The purpose of that story is so that the disciples and us wouldn't give up praying if we don't see an answer straight away. He wanted them to carry on. These people, these names we're writing down, we'll probably need to stick with praying for them for a long time. Remember George Muller? He was praying every day in sickness and in health, in land and on sea, whatever the other pressures were. He would persist in prayer. You know, there are people I've been praying for for a long time. There are people I've been praying for since I first became a Christian. And those people are on my list of five still. And I still go on praying for them. And though I've been praying for them for a while, and though it can seem like this is getting nowhere, this isn't going to happen, why hasn't any progress been made? The very reason Jesus told that story and that parable is that I wouldn't lose heart. 
and that I would keep going in praying for those people. Will you go on praying for them for the long haul? I wonder if, if there are people that you've given up on praying for. Maybe you think they're just too far gone. It's not going to happen. Or I've been at it a while and they haven't become a Christian yet. Let this morning stir your faith to, to go again, to pray again, to believe again. Because God is God. He is mighty to save. He can do it. Let's not give up. It might take months. It might take years. It might be something you never even see with, with your own eyes. You know, when Emma first became a Christian, uh, it was about 18 months before I met her. I, I was talking about uh, the story with her of uh, what were the factors in her coming to know Jesus. And uh, she'd grown up in a, in a home that wasn't Christian, um, but she had a grandmother who knew Jesus and uh, who had been praying every day for her grandkids and who'd been praying for Emma. And at the time she became a Christian, her grandmother had already passed away. And yet how influential, how significant were those prayers in Emma coming to faith? The challenge for this week then is to choose your five people. Do the circles exercise. Let God give you those five names. Note them down. And then every day, let your heart's desire and your prayer for those five people be that they be saved. Can you do that? To finish with, I want to tell you the end of the story because I, I told you the beginning of George Muller's account. I'm going to read the beginning again, but carry on with the story to tell you what happened when he committed to praying for his five. In one instance, my faith had been tried even more than this. In November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without one single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land or on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed and then the second one was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. And six years more passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remain unconverted. The man to whom God, in the riches of his grace, has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer in the selfsame hour or day on which they were offered, has been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these two individuals, and yet they remain unconverted. For next November, it will be 36 years since I began to pray for their conversion. By hoping God, I pray on and I look yet for the answer. He was praying for 36 years. He saw three of his five people come to know Jesus. Now, a biographer of Muller who um, gave this quote from him, then said later in Muller's life, he saw the fourth person become a Christian. And after he died, the fifth one gave his life to the Lord. Can we pray for our five people as long as it takes? But let's see them come to know Jesus.